in Jesus tonight. Amen. You know, you might have had a tough week. You might have had uh, burdens that you might not have been able to bear on your own. But if you just put your trust in Jesus, everything's going to work out all right. Amen. Today, we're going to finish up on the spiritual discipline of prayer. Uh, Even though I think I could probably preach on prayer the rest of this year because there's so many things that we could touch on when it comes to prayer. But after tonight, I think we will have at least covered enough ground for us to know that we cannot live without the spiritual discipline of prayer in our lives. Amen. And before we even start, as always, one more time, we're going to ask that the Lord just anoint me and anoint you and that he accomplishes everything that he wants to accomplish this evening. Amen. So let's pray. Father God. We thank you that you are a God that we can put our complete trust in, our complete hope in, that you are a living God, you're a true God, a a loving God, and a compassionate God, a God that loved us and demonstrated his love towards us, and while we were still sinners, you died for us, God. So tonight we put our trust in you, we put our hope in you and confidence in you. We confess our need for you, Father God, first myself, that uh, I need your anointing. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. I need your revelation. I need you to give me the tongue of the learned tonight, Father God, that I might speak a word in season and give hope to those that are here. I pray, Father God, that you would anoint everyone that's in this house with ears to hear and hearts to receive and then the courage to respond to your word. I come against every hindering spirit, every distracting spirit, everything that the devil would try to do to keep your people from receiving your word and me from speaking your word. I pray, God, that during these next few moments together that we would forget about ourselves and concentrate on you and allow your word to find a place deep within the soil of our soul. So we bless you and we praise you and we give you praise and thanks for the opportunity to once again be in your house And have their freedom to receive your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. So far in our spiritual discipline series, as far as prayer is concerned, I always like to recap, but just for a few minutes I'm going to do it. So far we've learned that prayer is an expectation. If you've not been with us, prayer is an expectation. Prayer is an invitation into the throne room of grace, like Pastor said, that we might find help in our time of need. And if you were here last week, you heard that prayer is an invitation into the throne room of grace so that we might receive that which we don't deserve. And I'll be the first to admit that I don't, re- I don't deserve half. I don't deserve any of what God has given me, and neither do you. But I thank God that prayer is a, is a tool that we can use to receive those things that we don't deserve. Amen. Last week, we discovered that prayer is also a place of preparation. Prayer is the place where we are prepared 
for the spiritual war that's going on in our life and for the spiritual battles that we're going to face from day to day in certain areas of our life. Prayer is the place where we are able to receive the power to win the war that is waging and raging in so many different areas of our life. The reality is each and every one of us have a war going on in our life. For some of you tonight, it might be in your finances. For some, it might be in your body. For some, it might be in your marriage. For some, it might be in your mind. For some, it might be a, a, a war that's raging between you and your children or even you and your parents. There's all sorts of wars that are going to be waging in your life, but God is telling us that we can win those wars and we can receive the power to win those wars through the spiritual discipline of prayer. Last week we learned that prayer is our hotline to heaven. And how many of you are glad that at any time we can pick up that phone called prayer and connect with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Prayer is our spiritual strategy room. It's where we talk to our spiritual commander-in-chief who is Jehovah Sabaoth. And if you, got, if, if you don't know who that is, Jehovah Sabaoth is the Lord of hosts. Jehovah Sabaoth is the Lord of all armies. He is the God who not only fights with you, He is the God who fights for you. When you can't pick up the weapons on your own, God steps out in front of you and He'll drive the enemy out of your way. But He does it, church, through this spiritual discipline called prayer. If you want to win the fight, if you want, if you want God to fight for you and with you, you need to exercise the spiritual discipline of prayer. You need to understand that Jehovah Sabaoth is the only one with the winning strategy to win the war that's going on in your life. You may think you can do it in your own wisdom. You may think you got it all figured out, but there's pieces of that puzzle that the devil is hiding from you that you can't see. There's an enemy hiding behind a bush that you don't even know is there, but Jehovah Sabaoth, the one who's listened to me, whose throne is the heavens and whose footstool is the earth, sees sees every little thing that you and I are going through. He knows what trouble is around the corner. He knows what heartache is over the hill. He knows what enemy is lying, waiting in the lurches, just waiting for you to take the wrong turn or make the wrong move. So you and I need to understand that when we pray, we connect with the commander-in-chief who has a winning strategy for your life. How many of you want to win? You're only going to find you're only going to find that victory through the spiritual discipline of prayer. Like I said last week, how many of you know that there is a war raging against our souls? You see, the Bible tells us that the devil or the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil's not out there to make you feel good. The devil's not out there to put a smile on your face. The devil's not out there to send you wine and roses to make you all happy. The devil is out there to destroy you and to tear your life apart. We can't ever forget that fact, church. First Peter 5.8 tells us that the devil roams about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Tonight, the devil wants to devour you. Tonight, the devil wants to devour your children or your spouse or your loved one or your family. It is, it is the devil's sole job, church, to devour souls. You, need, you and I need to always realize that the, it, that the devil is as hungry for souls as God is. You see, God is so hungry for souls that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. You and I can never forget that God traded the life of his son, Jesus Christ, for your soul and my soul. It's why Paul said that we are no longer our own, but we've been bought with a price. And that price is the the precious blood of his own son, Jesus Christ. But... Understand, as precious as our soul is to God, the devil wants it just as much. As precious as the soul of your sons and daughters are, the devil wants that soul just as much. You see, the reality is he might attack your marriage. He might attack uh, your finances. He might attack, he might try to take away your house. He might try to destroy all of these different areas of your life. But the number one thing that he wants is your very soul. 
Why? Because you can't take your house to heaven and your house won't go to hell. You need to understand that your car is not going to go to heaven and the devil can't take your car to hell. You need to understand that the clothes you're wearing on your back tonight aren't going to go to heaven and they're not going to go to hell. All the money you got in your bank account not going to follow you to heaven and it's not going to follow you to hell. So ultimately, listen, God is concerned with your soul more than he is with your house. He's more concerned about your spiritual house than he is about your physical house. And if God's that concerned about our soul, you need to always understand that the devil is that concerned about your soul as well. Not for the well-being of your soul, but he wants to see the destruction of your soul. And it's exactly why you and I must pray. The unfortunate truth is whether you are ready or not, whether you are equipped or not, whether you are prepared or not, whether you have the full armor of God. Thank you. I'm probably going to need didn't even notice I didn't have that. But somewhere along the way, you know how I preach. I'm going to need that little sip of water. But I want to get back to what I was saying, whether you are ready or not, prepared or not, equipped or not, whether or not you got on the full armor of God or not, the devil is still going to wage a war against your life. What you and I got to understand, church, is the devil's not going to wait for you to put on the armor. The devil's not going to wait for you to get ready. The devil's not going to wait for you to be all equipped. The devil's not going to wait for you to begin exercising and using the divine weapons of, of, of your warfare before he looses the hounds of hell into your life. The less prepared you are, the more he's going to send into your life. It's exactly why you and I must pray. It's exactly why we've got to pray all the time, church, and why we've got to pray without ceasing. He won't wait until you're ready to fight before he brings against you every single thing that he can to destroy your soul and to devour your soul. It's exactly why Paul said, which we've looked at in the past, why we should pray at all times and why we should pray on all occasions. It's exactly why Paul said that you need to pray all sorts of prayers. Read it yourself in Ephesians. It's why he said you got to pray all sorts of prayers because you're going to have all sorts of battles in your life. You need to understand that sometimes you're not going to have any more time than Peter did when he was sinking down into the to pray those short kind of prayers. God help me! Because that's the only time you're going to have. There's different kinds of prayers that you and I need to pray. If, if Peter would have gotten into one of those old time traditional churches and began to exergete and, and, and do all these kinds of things when his prayer, he'd be underwater now. We'd be singing a sad song about Peter. But you need to understand that there are all sorts of prayers that we've got to pray. Some are short, some are long, some prayers come with tears, some prayers come with joy, some prayers come with, some prayers come with uh, the bending of the knee, and some prayers come with rejoicing. But Paul said on all occasions and in every area and circumstance of your life, you need to pray. And he also said, don't just pray for yourself. He said, pray for your brothers and sisters. He said, pray for those that are fighting with you and fighting for you. You see, you can't forget that this side of the church is fighting for you. And this side of the church is fighting for you. The pastor is praying for you. We need to pray for one another. And Paul didn't leave himself out in the same thing. And he said, now, after you've done all of that, I want you to remember to pray for me. I want you to pray for me so that every time I open up my mouth, I might be given the words to speak. He said, so that I might boldly proclaim the gospel. He called himself an ambassador in chains in this same exact story where he talks about the, the full armor of God. We cannot forget that we are warriors in a battle. We are soldiers. And if we're not praying, we're not fighting. If we're not praying, we're letting down our brothers and sisters in the Lord. He said, pray at all times, because whenever you go to prayer, he knew that you would put yourself into a position of power. He knew that, that every time you and I pray, we connect to heaven and we open up the, the door of God's power into our lives. Whenever you and I pray, we receive the power to win the wars that are waging in our life. The reality is some of you are going through a battle right now. 
The reality is some of you in this house tonight are going through a battle right now. Some of you are waging a war at home. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's with your children. Maybe it's with in-laws. But there's some of you that are probably waging a war in your house this evening. Some of you might be waging a war at work. You're battling with your boss or you're battling with your manager. Or you're battling with your, 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 your supervisor or you're battling with your employees or you're battling with your coworkers or maybe with your vendors. But I'm saying that to let you know that there are battles in your life that you are going to fight on a regular basis. Some of you might be battling a, a, a might be fighting a battle in your body tonight. You're plagued with sickness. You're plagued with uh, illness. You're, you're plagued with infirmity. You're not feeling well. That's a battle that's going on in your life. Some of you might be battling in your mind this evening. You can't seem to find rest at night. You're afraid to go to bed and you're afraid to face the day. It's a battle of the mind that's going on. You're afraid of everything. You have panic attacks and there, there seems to just be this torment in your mind. It's a battle that wages and it's a battle that's brought on by the devil. Some of you might be even battling in your spirit this evening. You seem to be in turmoil. You can't find peace. You can't find joy. You're wondering where the zeal has gone. You're wondering where the passion has gone. Listen... It's a battle that's taking place in the soil of your soul. And the only way that we're going to win any of these battles, church, is through the power of prayer. It's the only way that we're going to win is through the spiritual discipline of prayer. I hope you know that you're not going to win any of these battles. You're not going to win any of these wars, arguing or bickering or backbiting or complaining. You're not going to win any of these wars, church, by worrying or cursing or by crying or by quitting or by or any other means than through the spiritual discipline of prayer. You see, so often we fail to find victory because we turn to the wrong thing. We think crying is going to bring us victory. We think complaining and grumbling is going to bring us victory. We think backbiting and, and quitting is going to bring us victory. But it won't. It'll bring us more heartache. And the enemy will come right back again with another battle that you're not prepared to fight. Because you haven't been in prayer. If you want to win the war that's waging in your life, you've got to be devoted to prayer. And you've got to pray without ceasing. Why? Because the devil never quits. You need to understand that the devil never puts away his pistol. You need to understand that the devil never hangs up his hook. The devil never punches out. The, never, the devil never takes a vacation. The, the, the devil never retires from, from his mission to devour souls. So we can't either, church. Just because your feelings are hurt doesn't mean that the devil's going to back off. Just because you got fired doesn't mean that the devil's going to lighten up. Just because you had a bad day doesn't mean that Satan's going to take a break. Just because you got to cry yourself to sleep at night doesn't mean that the devil's going to feel sorry for you and lay off. You need to understand that when those things are happening in your life, the, the, the way that you escape, the way that you overcome is by putting yourself into a position of power through prayer. Amen. This is what we have to do. Last week I shared Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6 when he spoke about the full armor of God. And he said after putting on all these, this armament, after putting on all the pieces uh, of, of weaponry that he spoke about, then you've got to go to war in prayer. Because prayer has the power to demolish strongholds, the Bible says. And I don't know how many of you know, which I'm sure you do, what a stronghold is, church, but strongholds are those areas where the devil has unpacked his bags. Strongholds are those areas where the devil has moved in. Strongholds are those areas where the devil has taken all of his luggage and he dumped it in the middle of your life and he says, I'm not about to leave. You see, strongholds are those areas where the devil has dug down deep and built up walls. Strongholds are those areas where he has brought backup and extra troops to help him win the war. Strongholds are those areas, church, where he has stocked piled ammunition so he can funnel it from one area of your life into 10 areas of your life. We've got strongholds in our nation and we have strongholds in our life. So you understand what a stronghold is. I want you to understand that there is a stronghold of corruption in the city of Chicago, 
for example, and it will not be defeated by anything except the power of prayer. There is a stronghold of greed in Washington, and it will not be defeated except through prayer. There's a stronghold of homosexuality in San Francisco and in Atlanta, and it will not be defeated by anything except the power of prayer. I want you to understand that there are strongholds of pornography, and there are strongholds of poverty, and there are strongholds of mental in, in, uh, uh, incapabilities. There are strongholds in this nation, in this world, like in Africa, the poverty, and there are strongholds in your life, and there is nothing that is going to conquer those strongholds or demolish those strongholds except the power of prayer. There's only one thing that's going to cause the devil to start packing his bags in these certain areas of his, of your life. And it's when he sees you get down on your knees and start to call out to God. Because until he sees that you're serious about overcoming, until he sees that you're serious about kicking him out of your life, he's going to have a vacation in your life. But as soon as you bend your knees, as soon as you open up that word of God, as soon as you open your mouth and you make a connection with the King of Kings and Jehovah Sabaoth, guess what? He gets nervous. He's going to start packing some bags and say, it's time for me to go and find a weaker vessel that doesn't understand who they are in Jesus Christ. Amen. And it is all accomplished through the spiritual discipline of prayer. We've got to understand that there are areas in every one of our lives where nothing will bring us breakthrough except the power of the discipline of prayer. I've shared with you before, it is the weakest, most difficult discipline for most Christians to fully develop in their lives. It is one of the hardest disciplines for us to to do on a regular basis. I don't know why it's so difficult. The devil knows why it's so difficult, but it should move us. All of these things should move us and stir us to make prayer a daily part of our spiritual discipline. Prayer is used to release the miraculous and the extraordinary power of God, but it is also used to release the everyday power of God into our lives and in our situations. We must always make sure to invite God not only into the seemingly impossible situations of our life, which we should do, but we need to make sure that we invite God into the everyday, ordinary matters of our life as well, into every decision that we make, into every turn that we take, into every thought that we think. We've got to invite God into the everyday, ordinary matters of our life. It's where I closed off last week, and I'm going to pick up and then finish out on prayer this week. We are to acknowledge God in all of our ways, the Bible says, and we do it through the spiritual discipline of prayer. Philippians 4, 6 tells us that we are to be anxious for nothing, but in everything, in every matter, in every area of our life. Everything means everything. It means you leave nothing out. It means that there's nothing exempt from this word everything. It means when it comes to your dating life, God needs to be in it. When it comes to your marriage life, God needs to be in it. When it comes to your business life, God's got to be in it. When it comes to your relationship with your wife or your your husband or your son or your daughter or your parents, God. God's got to be in it. It means when it comes to every single area of your life, everything through prayer, make your request known to God. Make your request known to God in every area of your life, every single area of your life, church. You know, when we get into the most trouble, it's when we leave God out of the little things. It's when we leave God out of the routine things. It's when we leave God out of the mundane things. You and I get in trouble when we think we can handle the everyday matters that come our way on our own. It's when we leave God out of the ordinary. Listen to what I'm saying. It's when we leave God out of the ordinary that we end up needing the extraordinary. You and I, listen to what I'm saying. When you leave God out of the ordinary decisions and routines in your life, you're going to find yourself on your knees crying out for the extraordinary. If you would have just invited God into the ordinary everyday decisions that you got to make in your life. 
If you would have invited God into your dating life, you wouldn't need a miracle in your marriage life. If you would have, listen to what I'm saying, church. If you would have invited God into the decision you had to make concerning the job you took, you might not be crying out for a miracle with the finances that you're lacking. You need to understand that we got to invite God into the everyday little things of life. We got to be faithful in the little before he blesses us with much. We as Christians, we especially as Pentecostals, were so moved by the supernatural and the extraordinary. And thank God, listen, thank God that He can do miracles. Thank God that I can pray for Him to move mountains. Thank God that I can trust in Him to heal my body. But I thank God that I can come to Him with every little thing in my life. And we fail so often to go to Him with all of these little things in life because we think we can do it all on our own. In Joshua chapter 10, Joshua was waging a war. And I'm not going to read the text, but I encourage you to read every passage and chapter that I mention. In Joshua chapter 10, Joshua was waging a war. But in chapter 10, the war wasn't one yet. Victory was not yet his. Victory was slipping away and the enemy was getting away, the Bible tells us. So what did Joshua do? Joshua prayed for the impossible. He prayed for the miraculous. He prayed for the extraordinary. And you'll read in the passage of Scripture what God did. God did the impossible and the extraordinary. He caused the sun to stand still for about half a day, the Bible says, until victory was won. Because prayer has the power to do supernatural, extraordinary, unbelievable things that would not have been done without prayer. And I want us to get excited about the power of supernatural prayer. But you're also going to discover in this lesson that he had to pray that way because he forgot to pray earlier. He had to pray for a miracle. Because he forgot to ask God to be part of the ordinary. And we're going to look at it in just a second. But like I said last week, prayer can accomplish the miraculous and the extraordinary. And I do want to encourage you tonight, church, that if God can cause the earth to stand still... If God can cause this, cause this massive earth to stop rotating and keep the sun shining, He can do a miracle in your life as well. If He could keep victory from running away from Joshua, He can keep victory from escaping you as well. He can keep sickness, He can keep wellness from running away. He can keep a sound mind from running away. He can keep your finances from running away. He can bring victory into your life just like he did with Joshua. I'm telling you, that's the kind of God we serve that can reach down to God. Earth is nothing like a a marble. To God, earth is probably even smaller than that. To God, earth is like a grain of sand that he could put between his fingers and say, Okay, earth, hold it for a minute. Hold it for a second. He holds the oceans at bay. He causes the sun to shine. Here he caused the sun to keep shining for about a half a day and it wouldn't go past noon. It's a miracle. God answers prayers and there's nothing too difficult for God. Nothing. Understand, in this passage of Scripture, church, prayer kept darkness from falling and it kept the enemy from going undefeated. It kept the enemy from going undefeated. How many of you want the enemy defeated in your life? How many of you want him to once and for all be defeated in your life and not keep getting away? Oh, he got away again and got away again. Maybe I'll get him another time. Got away again. Listen, when you pray, you keep the enemy from getting away. You allow God to do something miraculous in your life and powerful in your life that could not be accomplished without prayer. Prayer kept the enemy. Catch this. Prayer kept the enemy in Joshua's sight. The number one thing the enemy doesn't want you to do is be able to see him and recognize him. He doesn't want you to see him behind the bush. He doesn't want you to see him coming around the corner. He doesn't want to see, he doesn't want you to see him meddling in your finances or in your marriage. He wants you to be blind from him. He wants you to fight in the darkness like what was about to happen with Joshua. But prayer 
Listen, it keeps the enemy in your sight. It keeps them in your sight until you can win the fight. So pray so the enemy doesn't get away. Prayer kept victory on the horizon for Joshua. This is why he prayed. He saw victory slipping away like we do every day. We can see victory slipping. Oh, my son's getting away and my my daughter's getting away. Uh, They're going to go over the horizon. They're going to be lost forever. My finances are slipping away. Victory is slipping away. And we worry and we whine and we complain. Instead of falling on our knees or looking up to heaven and praying like Joshua and asking for the extraordinary and the miraculous power of God to move in your life. Prayer kept victory on the horizon. If you don't want victory getting away, pray. Victory is ours, the Bible says. The battle is the Lord's. But it comes through the power of prayer. So often, victory goes over the horizon simply because we don't pray. Victory wanders off into the darkness simply because we don't pray. Darkness descends on our marriage because we don't pray. Darkness descends on our financial situation simply because we don't pray. Darkness descends on our mind and on our emotions and on our sons and on our daughters and on our businesses simply because we don't take the time to pray and ask the light of God to come into our life. Ask the light of God to shine on that situation until you can clearly see the enemy defeated. That's the power of prayer. This is what we have to understand, church. You see, the reality is so many of us are fighting in the dark because we're not praying. You can look all around our country. We can look in our own lives. Listen, I hope you understand and know that darkness has fallen on our government. Why? Because our congressmen and our senators on both sides of the aisle have failed to humble themselves and pray. Because they think they know better than God. Because they think they've got all the answers to our woes. Because they think they can control us better than God can control us. On both sides of the aisle, Democrat and Republican, if we want to see things change, the only thing that's going to change government, the only thing that's going to change our economy is prayer. It's prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. When you go to vote for somebody, pray that you're praying that God's will be done. When you get involved in politics, don't get involved in politics for some uh, carnal reason. Get involved with prayer. And let the will of God be done so that our nation and our country can experience what God wants for us. Darkness has fallen on our schools. It's fallen on our judicial system. It's even fallen on our homes and even in the church, church, because we are not disciplining ourselves in prayer. The truth is the enemy keeps getting away only to come back again and again and again, simply because we have not put ourselves in a position of prayer when I, when I wrote this down, I could not help but think about the army of Israel when it came to King Saul and Goliath. You know the story, and I'm not going to tell the whole thing, but for 40 days and 40 nights, the enemy came and went and came and went and came and went and came and went. For 40 days and 40 nights, in the morning, Goliath would get up and he'd make himself known. Anyone, any man, he would come before the the army of Israel. And the Bible says they were scared stiff, couldn't even move. And he came and he went and he came and he went for 40 days. They couldn't go to sleep because they were so afraid for 40 days. They couldn't face the day because they were so afraid in the middle of this whole thing. They didn't stop to pray. Read it. They didn't stop to pray. The only thing that turned that situation around was a young ruddy boy who had been praying in the fields and he came under the anointing of prayer and he defeated the enemy. You see, I'm saying all that. Don't live your life in fear like the army of Israel did. They were the chosen people. They were the royal priesthood. They were a holy nation. And for 40 days they lived in fear when they could have just gotten on their knees and connected to the power of God and prayed the enemy away. But they didn't. It took some ruddy young kid to come. 
and stand in the face of the enemy and speak the word of God and pray him away. This is what you and I need to understand to do. I feel that we've become frightened. We've become scared of the enemy. We've become lazy. We've become complacent, church. We become tolerant of all of these things that are going on around us instead of disciplining ourselves in prayer. Listen, whenever we're faced with the impossible, whenever the odds are against us, whenever the doctor says, I can't do anything more, whenever victory is fleeting or the devil is winning, church, whenever the stock market is down and unemployment is up, whenever darkness is about to fall on any area of our lives, we can turn it all around through the spiritual discipline of prayer. Because the Bible says the fervent prayer of the righteous availeth much, which we learned about last week. What we all have to realize is that God said pray, not so he could just put some kind of tedious task on us. He told us to pray so that we could experience the power of God in our life, so that we could experience the power of God over the situations and the circumstances of life that will come your way each and every day. He told us to pray so that we might experience the miraculous. He told us to pray so that we might experience the extraordinary. And he told us to pray so that we might experience the everyday move of God in our lives. And here's where I'm going to start winding this down. Not going to end yet. But one of the things that you have to understand about the story in Joshua 10, which I talked about earlier, is that Joshua had to pray for the miraculous and the extraordinary because he failed to pray for the ordinary. He had to pray for God to keep the sun from setting because he failed at one point to pray when the sun was rising. You read it and you'll find out. We do the very same thing, church. We ask God to rescue us in the middle of the day when we fail to call on God in the beginning of the day. We, we, we ask God to come and rescue us from this situation that has come our way in the middle of the day when we fail to invite him in at the beginning of the day. We, we, we cry out to God for a miracle at dinner time when we never confided in him at breakfast time. You see, this is what I'm talking about. We need to invite God into every single area of our life, not just when it's an emergency. We need to call God and ask God into our life to keep us from needing the miracle, to keep us from needing the extraordinary in our lives. I think we forget that we need them as much as we need them. Listen. Joshua had to cry out for God. I'm going to get a little teachy here. Joshua had to cry out to God for a miracle in chapter 10 because he failed to call on God in the ordinary in chapter 9. He had to call on God when the task was beyond his ability in chapter 10. Chapter 10, he was fighting a major war. In chapter 10, he had all sorts of enemies surrounding him. In chapter 10, he needed the miraculous power of God to keep victory from escaping him. He had to call on God when the task was beyond his ability because he failed to invite God into a task that was within his ability. And that's where we get messed up with God. As long as I can handle it on my own, I don't need to invite God. As long as I can make this decision on my own, I don't need God. As long as I can figure it out on my own, I don't need God. Joshua, not even knowing, I I think he did it innocently when you read it. He just simply failed and forgot to invite God into a simple decision. Maybe one that he had to make normally or regularly as a king. But that situation came, he failed to invite God into a task that was within his ability. And that's where we get in trouble. When we lean on our own understanding instead of acknowledging God in all of our ways so that he can direct our paths. If Joshua in chapter 9 would have sought God... In one decision that he, that, that he made, he wouldn't, have fought, he wouldn't have had to fight the war in chapter 10. Even though God let him win the war in chapter 10, he did not have to fight it or wouldn't have had to fight it if he would have just called on God in chapter 9. You see, here's, here's my point. So often in our life, we're crying out for miracles in chapter 5 of our life when we should have just asked God to be part of chapter 1. You see, there's a story that's being written in our life, and from moment one, it needs to include God. So often we go through 27 chapters of our life, or 40 chapters of our life, or 18 chapters of our life, and God's nowhere in the book until we get to page or chapter 15, or chapter 25, or chapter 66. God's nowhere to be found. 
You see, we ask God to all of a sudden start writing a miracle in chapter 10 when we didn't want nothing to do with him for the previous nine chapters. We think we can do it all on our own, lean on our own understanding. And then that devil comes out as full force and, God, I need a miracle. There's nothing wrong with crying out for a miracle. Joshua did. He repented that he left God out of chapter 9 and God moved miraculously in chapter 10. Why? Because God gives grace to the humble. He gives us what we don't deserve as long as it's wrapped with humility. And it's exactly what Joshua did. In chapter 9, he wrapped his prayer in humility and he asked God for a miracle and God brought it. But when we go it alone is when we struggle I know that sometimes God orders difficulty into our lives like we've learned before in order to strengthen us, in order to mature us, in order to make us more like Him. But most of the time, or lots of the time, we go there all on our own. Sometimes we walk into the middle of chaos and difficulty and and heartache all on our own. We do it in our own wisdom. We do it in our own stubbornness. We do it in our own pride. Or we do it in our own stupidity. Or we do it in our own ignorance. Just like maybe Joshua did. And before you know it, we're having to cry out for a miracle. Because somewhere along the line in our life, we should have stopped for a moment and said, God, this might be an ordinary decision for me to date this person. It might be an ordinary decision for me to take this job. It might be an ordinary decision for me to go to this school. It might be an ordinary decision for me to go to this church. It might be an ordinary decision for me to move in this ministry or serve in this capacity. But I want you to know that without God, you're nothing. Without God, you'll make the wrong choice. You'll make the wrong decision. And somewhere along the line, you're going to find yourself crying out for a miracle when all you had to do is say, God, I need you right now in this simple little decision. I can't even make this on my own. You know, the life of Moses, when his life was coming towards an end, God asked him to do something. He said, I'm not going to go unless I know you're going. That's the life we've got to live. I'm not going to date this person unless you tell me yes. I'm not going to marry this person unless you tell me yes. I'm not going to take this job unless I hear from you, God, and you tell me yes. Or wait, or, you know, whatever. Or tell me no. God's, God doesn't always answer yes. No, no, you, you can beg all you want. But His will isn't always yes for our life. And we get ourselves into trouble when we think we can make those decisions all on our own. What we need to know is that there was a time prior to this miraculous work in Joshua 10 when Joshua failed to acknowledge God in chapter 9. And in the last few minutes... I'm going to share this. In Joshua 9, you read it yourself when you go home. We're going to discover that on one occasion, Joshua typically relied on God, typically trusted in God, typically put his confidence in God, turned to God. On one occasion, he failed to acknowledge God through prayer. On one occasion, he thought he could do it on his own. He, He failed to seek God's help for what he thought was something he could handle in his own authority, in his own wisdom and power. I'll do this deal on my own. I'll make this decision on my own or I'll enter into this relationship on my own. Joshua thought it was all within his own ability or power. This is what happened. Listen, what happened was that in chapter 9, a group of men from the town of Gibeon came to Joshua and they asked to make a peace treaty with him. They asked for him to protect them in case. And what they did, they lied to him. They told him they were from a far off country. That if a war ever broke out, it wouldn't break out in Joshua's own backyard. This is exactly what the story was. I'm kind of just paraphrasing it for you. It's not really going to affect you, Joshua. It's not going to be any sweat off of your back. This is kind of the way that they came and they deceived him into making a treaty with them. This is where he failed to acknowledge God. It's within my authority to do it, so I'll do it. It's within my power to make this treaty, so I'll do it. He made all sorts of treaties. This isn't the first treaty that he ever made. What's so difficult about it? What's what's so involved about it? Here's somebody that's come to me. They've uh, I'll do it. But see, what Joshua didn't realize was that they were lying. What Joshua didn't realize was that it was going to cost him a lot in the future. He didn't realize that it was going to result in a war that he didn't have to fight, ended up having to fight. So this is what you and I need to understand, church. He had the authority to make it. So he made it. 
He had, the, he had the, the wisdom to do it, so he did it. And he left God out of his decision-making process. Later, Joshua discovered that they lied. Later, Joshua discovered that they deceived him. Later, he ended up having to defend that very city in a major war. The war that I spoke about in chapter 10. It's the war, that the enemy, the war in which the enemy was getting away. The war in which Joshua had to cry out for a miracle and ask God for, to cause the sun to stand still. Because in that battle, in chapter 9, Joshua knew that victory was fleeting. So he had to cry out. Listen, I say all that. Go ahead and put on the music because I'm bringing this to a close here. When we fail to acknowledge God in the everyday ordinary decisions and choices and steps... And directions of life. When we fail to acknowledge God in the things that are in our control and within our own abilities, we end up having to fight wars that we were never intended to fight. When you make decisions in your own abilities and you make decisions with, that are within your own power that you think to handle them, you're going to be fighting wars that you were never intended to fight. You'll fight them in your marriage, you'll fight them in your finances, you'll fight them in your workplace, you'll fight them in your mind, you'll, you'll, fight, you'll fight them somewhere. But when you think you can go it alone, you're going to fight wars that you were never intended to fight. When we fail to acknowledge God in the everyday simple things of life, we end up in the middle of other people's mess. You see, sometimes we got to go to God just to keep out of someone else's mess. You see, if he would have asked God to give him a little insight before he made this decision, God would have told him. God would have told him. Because he spoke to him before, Joshua, you know, don't make this decision. You're going to have to fight a fight you don't need to fight. You're going to end up in the middle of someone else's mess. And I don't want you to have to do that. You see, listen to me. So often we go through life messing around in other people's mess. Because we simply didn't call on God in prayer. Because we didn't invite Him into that situation before it turned into a mess. Amen? When we fail to acknowledge God, we risk our own well-being, as well as the well-being of those around us and those that we're responsible for. Joshua was responsible for a nation, and he put an entire army at risk and a nation at risk because he failed to pray. He didn't do it probably willfully when you read it but that doesn't matter there are sins of omission and sins of commission joshua knew that in all things he should have acknowledged god joshua knew that joshua understood that god need to be part of every decision that he makes sometimes i think that maybe joshua got a little cocky Sometimes I think Joshua might have got a little proud when he said, Hey, you two, you, Joshua and Caleb, you're the only ones that are going to make it in there. You see, sometimes we can get a little spiritually haughty. Think, oh, yeah, I'm, in, I'm, I'm good with God and that's all I need. But there are times we've got to call out to God in every area of our life. Amen? Here's how I close. Sometimes we wouldn't have to pray for the miraculous or the extraordinary if we would simply invite God into the everyday, ordinary decisions of our life. Understand, Joshua had to fight a war that wasn't his, and he had to fight longer and harder in this war than he did in any other war. Why? Sometimes God makes us clean up our own mess. You see, God brought him victory, and I praise God. We can make mistakes, and he can still bring us victory. I praise God that we can fail to include him in the little thing. And then when we call out for a miracle, God can move and do a miracle. But he only did it. Here's what I want you to understand. He only responded through prayer. He only responded through prayer. If Joshua would not have prayed, I don't know what the outcome of that battle would have been. If he would not have included God in the middle of that war, I don't know what the result would have been. It could have been far worse. We could have been hearing about hundreds and thousands of lives that were lost. We could be hearing about the, the face of Israel changing. We could, we could have heard about a new king. You understand what I'm saying? Simply because if he would have forgotten to include God, we don't know what the result's going to be. But I'm telling you this evening that if you include God in the everyday ordinary decisions and tasks and moves and steps... 
and choices of your everyday simple life, victory will not go over the horizon. Amen? Amen. If you're willing to devote yourself to prayer, I want you to stand with me tonight. And this is what you're confessing tonight when you stand up. You're confessing, God, I understand that I need to devote myself to the spiritual discipline of prayer. But you're also committing tonight by saying, God, I'm not only going to call on you for the miraculous. I'm not only going to call on you for the extraordinary or supernatural move. I'm going to call on you in the everyday, ordinary choices and decisions, steps and maneuvers and thoughts that I have to make every single day. Amen. That's what we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this evening. I thank you that your word is living and active. I thank you, God, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce the very center of our soul. It's able to take out the things that don't belong and put in the things that need to be there. And that's my prayer this evening. I pray, God, that your word will have the power to take out the things that don't belong and put in the things that do belong. Things like prayer, devotion, and the word of God. I pray, Father God, that we would never come to a place as your people where we feel like we can leave you out of the simple, everyday decisions of life. I pray, God, that we would not be a people that only calls out to you for the extraordinary and for the miracles, but that we would be willing as your people to admit that we need you to move and live and breathe and have our very being. So, God, we invite you into our finances tonight. We invite you into our marriages. We invite you into our parenting. We invite you into our jobs. We invite you into every single area of our lives because we cannot do it on our own. So, God, I pray that you would cultivate people of prayer at South Metro Ministries. I pray that you would cause us to understand that when we pray, we put ourselves into a position of power where we can have heaven move on our behalf. I pray, O oh God, that you would teach us to be faithful to the spiritual discipline of prayer so that victory would not be fleeting in our lives. Let us not grumble. Let us not complain. Let us not bicker. Let us not backbite. Let us not grow anxious. Let us not grow weary. Let us pray. I pray that we would pray, Father God, on all occasions, big and small. I pray, God, that we would pray for one another. That we would build one another up, God. That we would encourage one another. That we would bear one another's burdens, oh God. That we would lift up our pastor, oh God. That we would lift up the staff. That we would lift up all the volunteers and the elders and the workers, oh God. That we would lift up one another in prayer as fellow soldiers in the army of Jesus Christ. So that all of us, oh God, could experience victory in our lives. Help us to commit to prayer and devote ourselves to prayer. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. Can we bless the Lord, church? Amen. Amen. If you need me to pray, tarry with you, obviously, I'll be happy to do that. But otherwise, be prayers this week. Amen.